Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth are the creators of Redoc, powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution, plus opt-in to completely outsourced billing services. That's the best way to optimize revenue. Imagine PT billing, coding, and compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. To learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services, head on over to nethealth.com slash healthy. Okay, so now today's episode, as you know, Unhealthy, Wealthy, and Smart, I love to feature kick-ass female entrepreneurs who are not only great business people, but are great people. And today's guest is no exception. I'm happy to have on the show today, Molly Hayward. She's the visionary founder of Cora, a lifestyle brand giving women a modern method for managing their periods with body conscious organic tampons and elegant de- delivery experience and sustainable menstrual products given to girls in developing countries for every monthly supply shipped. Cora represents the smart, chic, and conscious women of today and is transforming the experience of womanhood in a global scale. She has a deep knowledge of menstruation in both commercial and cultural contexts. Molly was the first entrepreneur in the now trendy menstrual management space to establish a modern pro-social brand, presenting the issues of healthier products and women's global social justice to the mainstream female consumer. For more information, visit Cora.life. And you can always go to the show notes for today's episode over at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com to click on all of the links for Cora. What can I say? Molly was amazing. She's smart. She's funny. She's caring. She's one of these entrepreneurs with a social mindset. So today we talked about the story behind Quora, from idea to successful subscription business, how passion and perseverance disrupted the female product industry, the importance of removing unnecessary daily tasks as your business grows. Of course, we talked about how she grew a business because isn't that what we all want to know more about? And how to position a product to enhance quality of life and foster a worldwide community. So when you hear the story of how Cora was founded, you just get it. You get Molly, you understand her need for for social justice, her drive to help women around the world. I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to ruin the surprise. So you'll just have to listen here. And uh, thank you all again for listening. And a big thanks for Molly for taking the time out and coming on the podcast. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Molly, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to have you on. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. Now, we were kind of speaking a little bit before we uh, started this recording, and I was saying that, you know, I really love to hear how and why people started their business. I think it's such a great learning experience for any budding entrepreneurs out there. So can you tell us the story behind Cora? 
Yes. So um, I was, gosh, 24. And I was actually um, coming out of the first business that I had helped to start, which was a sustainable clothing company. So I was really passionate about um, designing businesses for social good. Um, and so I was really in this kind of space of, frankly, like not knowing. I was um, really kind of um, trying to figure out what my next move was going to be. Was it a project? Was it another venture? Was it, you know, joining a team? And um, kind of out of the blue, I was invited to join a volunteer group that was going to Kenya to work on uh, initiatives related to women's health and girls' education. And of course, I was like so excited by this and I totally jumped at the chance. And I went and basically when I got there, what I found was that there was just amazing, amazing things happening in these small rural, rural villages um, related to uh, girls' education. So making sure that there were number one schools for the girls to go to, that they could um, actually get there every day, that they had the uniforms they needed and the books and the tuition and everything else. Um, and then I basically found, come to find out that um, the girls will just stay home during the, you know, five to six days of their periods um, because they can't afford to buy menstrual pads. And I was just blown away. I mean, I just, I had never, um, considered that this was um, an issue and sort of such a such a, um, a, a a sort of critical moment in these girls lives and this opportunity that they had to go to school and then suddenly it was being derailed by this like sort of one one aspect that wasn't really being paid attention to and so I kind of went home and it started me on this whole journey of actually looking at my experience of having my period. And even though I had never had to go without products, thankfully, I um, never had had a very positive experience of my period. It wasn't something that was celebrated that made me feel powerful as a woman, um, especially with the products that I was using. And so really, the thought started to develop of, could I create a business that provided um, really, I think, modern um, products and a modern experience of managing your period for women here in the US um, and tie that back to providing products to girls in need. So that was really kind of how Cora was, was born. And what were the girls using there if they weren't using what we here in the United States or you know, more developed countries use? Oh my gosh, so many different things. So newspaper, cow dung, ash from a fire pit, sand, um, pieces of old mattress, old pieces of cloth or rags. Um, it really was kind of different in every community, but it was, you know, the, just using whatever they could. Um, and oftentimes kind of um, getting infections and, um, and, and reproductive and urinary tract infections from using kind of unsanitary materials. And so then you're kind of creating a waterfall effect of additional problems because um, you might not have easy access to go to a clinic to get treated for that. And so then it's kind of just compounding, um, compounding the problem. So um, really kind of critical to get, to get something um, 
better and, and safer and healthier. Yeah. And, and oftentimes, you know, they say the best businesses are built off such simple ideas. Mm. And if you think about it, this one simple idea of just providing um, menstrual pads to girls in countries where they don't have access to that or in communities where they don't have access to that can change a whole community, the cascade of events, right? Exactly. I mean, it's this virtuous cycle that we've seen actually because um, we, you know, we, we all know or most of us know that um, you know, girls' education and, and um, female empowerment is completely essential to economic development and poverty alleviation and that those things in turn actually help to build stronger communities both economically and socially. Um, you know, the societies in which women have greater equality are more peaceful and more successful and prosperous for everyone. Um, and so I think there's just, um, just a really um, clear link in my mind between um, providing this, this um, essential product that allows a girl to complete her education and sort of go on and pursue, um, you know, whatever she wants to pursue ultimately. Yeah, it's amazing. Amazing. Now, so you have this idea. This is the story behind it. How do you make it into an actual business? Because a lot of people have yeah. ideas. Yes. It's what you do with the ideas that matter. So yes. what were, can you take us through some of the basic steps that brought you from the idea to where you are today? Totally. I mean, so when I first had the idea, um, subscription was not really a thing. Um, certainly subscription period care was not a thing and even organic products in period care was not really a thing that you got outside of like Whole Foods or a natural grocery store. Um, so if you didn't have access to those places or you weren't aware of like organic products, um, you, you probably weren't kind of, um, seeking them out. And so really I just started talking to friends and friends of friends and family members and saying, hey, listen, if I um, offered to uh, create a custom selection of organic period products for you, tampons, pads, liners, whatever you need, and ship it to your house every month, is that something you might pay me for? And women were like, oh, God, yes. Um, it was like so exciting to them that they might you know, not have to kind of like run out to the store at the last minute every, every month or every couple of months, um, because they had like run out of what was under their bathroom sink and they're like, Oh shit, I have my period. Like I need to get these products. And so it was this really interesting, um, I think problem solution for women here. Um, and then they were even more excited that like every time I shipped their box, I was providing a month's supply of pads to a girl in need. And so um, really, it, it started super, super small, and I can't sort of stress that enough. Um, it was really tested within just women I knew and then women who sort of um, got turned on to it by word of mouth from those women. And so I think up until about, I think I had about, a, um, about 200 women ultimately um, before before I was actually like, okay, this thing has legs, like let's kind of put the pedal to the metal. Um, and it was around that time that I met my, my now co-founder and business partner and um, we were able to really kind of um, begin to 
plan out kind of what the next steps were. And it's certainly different for every business. Um, but I think that like the key takeaway there um, that I think is common in most businesses is like it does start from a problem that you yourself experience and then like starting really small and like just starting I think is often like the most um, critical piece. I'm definitely a perfectionist and you know, I really like, am, um, I don't know, critical of myself and the things that I do. And so it's like, I don't want to put this out in the world until it's absolutely perfect. And let me build the perfect website and make sure everything looks amazing. And, um, you know, and then I'll put it out there. And if I build it, they'll come. And I think that that is like the thing that, you know, I encourage people the most to try to overcome um, because I think that it is just so critical to get started because it is such a learn as you go process. Um, you know, I do not have a business school education. Um, I was a liberal arts, uh, you know, student in college and, uh, you know, really just got a lot of my business experience in my first um, job and, and then in the first company that I started. And so it really, um, and, and frankly, some of those things from the earlier experience really didn't translate to this business um, because it was such a different model. Um, and so I think, you know, again, I like, can't stress enough that you just kind of have to get started um, and figure out like if there's a market for what you want to sell. Yeah. And I love that. I think what's what my big takeaways from that is that you started your research with people who, who you know. And what yeah. a great place to start from because those people, I, I know a lot of people think, oh, if you start with friends and family, they won't give you the honest feedback. And I disagree. They're the people who will give you who the Who are willing feedback. to do it and stick with you. Yeah. Because yeah. later down the road, if somebody doesn't like what you're doing, they're probably just going to cancel or mm -hmm. like, you know, stop working with you. And I, yeah, I think that um, really being able to like tweak things and kind of course correct in with that early group um, is, is super critical. And how long did it take for you to go from this sort of initial research with the group of people who know you and like you versus, you know, bringing this to the masses? Yeah. I mean, so it was like probably a year um, before I even started like shipping product to people. So I like found out this was an issue, started thinking about it, started researching, talking to people, trying to understand the industry. Then I started shipping um, you know, literally kind of like out of my bedroom. And, um, and then uh, it was about another year later until um, I kind of redesigned the entire experience. We were producing our own products and um, actually like, you know, launched officially and started, um, you know, to kind of invest in our growth. Got it. Got it. So, you know, doesn't happen overnight. Definitely takes, not. Takes a lot of long days. Don't and be I'm discouraged. Sure working weekends. You know, you're not taking every weekend off and every night off. Nope. Um, and the other thing that I really love that you said is, is I think you sort of combined the, what, what am I passionate about? What do I love to do? What am I good at? And then what you said, what will people pay me for? You know, yes. I always tell people, like, if you're passionate about something and you're good at something, but no one's going to pay you for it, that's a hobby. Right. right. That's, that's a hobby. So you yes. need all three of those to come together. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Yeah. And I think for me, it was, um, 
it, you know, I certainly don't think this should be a litmus test for everyone, but I was so excited and passionate about the idea that like, I was, I was like working at nights and working on weekends, like you said. And like, it was like, I just couldn't not do it. It, it felt so important to me. It felt so exciting at that, you know, at the time that I originally started, I was also working a full-time job. Like I was consulting and, and doing other projects just to kind of like pay the bills. And so like it really did take additional effort to like make sure it sort of continued to roll forward. But um, I think that like if you can, if you have found that thing that you just have to do, I think like it's, you know, it's worth staying with it. It's worth pursuing it. It's worth kind of making those smaller sacrifices and, you know, I really um, can't stress enough like how many moments there were in that time where it was like, I don't even know if this is going to work. Is this going to work? Like it's, you know, and, and I just, you know, kept, kept going and kept going. And what, how do you, this is probably a question that a lot of people probably have in their minds is how do you get funding to make all this happen? Yeah. So, um, I think it was pretty clear from the beginning that this was um, a really big opportunity and a really big, you know, industry to kind of begin disrupting. And so, um, you know, really the process of raising our first round was um, first kind of going to the immediate people in our network. So certainly kind of that early funding was um, sort of, I would say like 50% kind of friends and family. Um, and then kind of 50% institutional or like angel. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, I mean, the process of that was really like, okay, who can we like get to, I think without kind of like cold emailing. Um, but then beyond that, it's like every time you talk to someone, um, whether they are into your idea, whether they want to invest in your idea, it's like, um, it's asking that question of like, you know, is there anyone else that, you think we should be talking to. If we're not a good fit for you, that's fine. We get it. Like, but you know, can you recommend to other people and make those introductions for us? Um, and most people are totally willing to do that. But I think that, you know, foundationally in terms of like what you actually need in order to do that, it's a pretty specific kind of business. And I think a lot of businesses, um, you know, don't necessarily need to, to raise funding. I think if you're in a service business, it's so much easier to kind of get a bit of um, traction without huge, you know, massive amounts of capital. Um, for us, you know, being a product, you know, a physical product, uh, selling a physical product and, um, you know, kind of acquiring customers online, like if you want to do that rapidly, you need a a good amount of money to do it. And so I think that was really like where the decision making was. But, you know, I think if you can, I think if people can bootstrap, it's, um, that's, that's a great option too. And I think like, I would stress that so much in terms of fundraising. I think it's probably the, the question that I get the most from other entrepreneurs. It's like, you know, should I be raising money? How much money should I be raising? What should the approach be? And I think that unfortunately, like it's, it is very one size or it isn't one size fits all. It is not one answer fits all. It is very specific to what your goals are, what your business model is and, and what your potential, you know, for growth is. Because at the end of the day, you know, you take people's money and they expect quite a big return on that. And so if that's not the trajectory, 
trajectory you're on, it's probably better to let it you know, grow organically and you maintain that equity and that ownership um, and, uh, and take that route. But I think, you know, I know it's not helpful, but, um, you know, no, I think there's sort of not one answer necessarily. No, I, I agree. And I think what you said was perfect. And, and, you know, I'm sure that there are people out there who can help you decide what you need. You know, totally. those people yes. are there. So if you, if you don't know personally, those people are there. You can, you can get financial advisors for your business and they'll help you along the way. And, and what you, if you're having trouble with those projections. And yes. I loved that, um, when, that you said you would ask, make that ask of, you know, thank you for your time. We, maybe we're not the best fit. Hey, can you, you know, hook, hook us up, you know, yes. recommend us. If you think, would you if recommend you think, we and I even, think that's if they great. Couldn't, even if they couldn't make the personal connection or they, you know, they didn't know anyone personally at XYZ firm or X angel investor, even to know who that person or that firm was and then go knock on their door was super helpful um, just to find your way. But I think, you know, um, in terms of investors, like, everybody kind of has their sweet spot and their kind of space that they like to invest in. And so it's worth kind of doing as much research as you can to figure out like, okay, who is investing in, in our case, consumer goods and is sort of channel agnostic. So, um, you know, has experience investing in e-commerce based businesses, but also businesses who sell at brick and mortar retail. Yeah. I think that's all great advice. And, and for any entrepreneur out there listening, um, I would take this advice and really sit down and, and look at your business and really think about what it is you want to accomplish and where you see yourself going. And, and then just put it all down on paper, brainstorm and see, see what you need, right? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think, you know, getting, um, getting help in that early process. Like, I mean, you know, I think that... Um, I think that there are more resources now than ever, particularly for um, for female entrepreneurs and being supported by the female um, investor and VC community, and really wanting to make sure that that women are represented in um, you know the companies that are that are um, getting that capital. Yeah, great advice. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, NetHealth. PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by XFIT, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. Now, you know, something that you had mentioned, you know, you're looking to find these, your subscribers online. So a great way to do that would kind of be through social media and, and things like that, right? Yeah. So, you know, we were talking a little bit, like I said beforehand, and, you know, when you look at people's social media accounts, whether it be, I don't know, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, what have you, Twitter, you see the highlight reel. You see all the good stuff that's yeah. going on. So if we go into Cora, like, of course, we're going to see all the great work that you're doing here in the U.S. and you're doing abroad, which is amazing. But I have to think 
that there have been some struggles on the way. So could you maybe talk about one or two struggles you've had and what you've learned from it so that the listeners can kind of learn from, learn from you? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, so I think like one of the first things that, that sort of comes to mind is the operational complexity of um, running the type of business that we do with physical products. Um, I mean, <laughs> there have been multiple times where we've had to like, um, you know, spend 3x on shipping, you know, because we had to air freight 40 pallets of essentially air, you know, cotton um, from Europe to the US because, um, you know, we didn't place an order quickly enough or there was some sort of a delay or there was a holdup and like, you know, chaos totally um, totally ensues. And I think that like, I mean, it's hard to even land on one single anecdote because I think that, you know, while I, while we're a super strong team and I think we run a really great business, like it's kind of chaos every day. Like there's always a fire to put out. There is always something that went wrong. There is always something that is like three weeks behind schedule or more because it's just a constant sort of flow of competing priorities. Um, and so I think that, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely like, it's kind of more of just like a constant rather than at least for us, thankfully having like a big blowout moment where like something went horribly wrong. Knock on wood, that hasn't, you know, happened to us, but, um, I think it's sort of, you're almost operating at like a level of, um, you know, constant, uh, constant vigilance. Um, because like the nature of trying to make everything happen that needs to happen in, in kind of this day and age and the pace of life um, is just super challenging. And then how do you not get lost in the fires? Meaning how do you keep the big picture in mind and keep the team motivated to keep pushing forward? Because, you know, day to day, if you're always putting out fires, then what happens to the big vision? Totally. I mean, I think, I think that has been, um, you know, something that has been a skill that I have learned. Um, really for me, it's kind of making sure that either on like a weekly basis or a monthly basis or even just a quarterly basis that I kind of get to step back and zoom out and look at what everything look at everything that that is happening and you know some of the best advice that I got early on that I started to implement was looking at the list of things that you're doing every day um, or that your team is doing every day and identifying the sort of um, lowest 20%, lowest 20% meaning the sort of um, most time consuming, most stressful, most expensive things you're doing that are actually not contributing to your growth or whatever your goal might be and eliminating them and constantly cutting out that bottom 20%. Um, and that to me has been so critical. And I think one of the challenges for us um, and probably for a lot of early stage companies is like, um, there is just a, you know, plethora and cornucopia of things that you can do, um, between, you know, the, the types of things you can do on social media and marketing and brand partnerships and PR and all of these things. It's like, they're all great, 
but I think it's super important to try to try to narrow your focus early on and do do fewer things better rather than trying to have your hands on absolutely every like potential opportunity and kind of like jumping at every opportunity that comes through um, to really, really be hyper vigilant and sort of ruthless in the way that you actually choose to spend your time and being really intentional about it. I think that you can, you know, I'm certainly guilty of this, get into that reactionary mode where like things and opportunities are coming at you and you're just like, yes, 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 it's all happening. You know, this is exactly what I wanted. This is going to be a huge opportunity for growth, for exposure. Yes, yes, yes. And then you ultimately realize like you're spread totally thin. Not a single one of those things was like a big, massive um, event for your business. And at the end of the day, you're just kind of exhausted and you don't have that much to show for it. And I think that, you know, even from a very early stage when, you know, you might feel like people are doing you more of a favor to work with you than you are doing them a favor, um, that you're still really, really um, intentional about what you're doing. Because I think that at the end of the day, you still only have 24 hours in a day. Um, and to, to really make the most of that and get clear about what's important to you and your business and the way you spend your time. Um, and even though it sort of might be a slightly, you know, slower growth trajectory or path, I think actually you get such a higher quality return ultimately, and you feel so much better about what you're doing. Yeah, that's wonderful advice. And, you know, speaking of really having the big picture and, and what you're passionate about in mind, one of the big things with Cora is the giving back. So we spoke, you know, earlier uh, how you said when someone purchases Cora, it's delivered, um, you deliver a month's worth of uh, menstrual products to a girl in need. So why is that aspect so important to you and so important to the business? So, I mean, it's so important to me, I think, because it was just that moment where I, I was actually there kind of witnessing it happening to girls and um, seeing, you know, firsthand just how um, excited they were about going to school, how much they were sacrificing to go to school. I mean, literally, like, walking 10 miles each way to get to and from school like that is the level and and that this one thing could actually make such a change in her life so for me it, it was like this super personal experience that I had that really like galvanized um, me to to try to help but for for Cora's customers like it's so interesting because I have not had the experience of women, even who have never been to those places, met these girls, like, you know, had kind of the experience I had, such an emotional connection because of the, I think the level of empathy that most women are able to, to have for a girl who, who would have to go through her period without having, you know, safe and healthy products. Because I think we've all been in the situation of not having the product when we need it um, and leaking and like panicking and like all of the emotions that go into that and just how personal it is as a woman, this experience, um, that to be able to 
I think actually makes such a huge difference in the life of a girl through this product that you're going to buy anyway. Um, and I think it, it just really, um, I think it just makes women feel really good. And like, that is so amazing. That's why we give because we know it's the right thing to do, but also because it activates something in us and that communal, um, you know, biological, I don't have the words for it, but the, um, you know, the biological level on which we all connect to each other and, and that we feel good about helping each other and that we have this deep sense of empathy and compassion, um, I think it really activates that part of us and it feels really good to be able to help. Yeah, and I think it also creates this sense of community of women. You know, we Absolutely. might not know each other. They may live in a, across the world, but like you said, we've all been there and we want to make sure that all these people in our community yes. get to feel the same way we do. And that's what makes yes. people, makes people happy, you know, and it makes people proud that they're part of an organization, I think, that can, can make such a difference in people's lives. And I'm sure that's where a lot of the customers, your customer base, at least that's in my opinion, may feel because you now you're part of a tribe, you're part of a community, you're totally. doing something really cool, you're helping people by doing something you're going to do anyway. So it's yes. like a win, win, win. I mean, and I the think, product's yeah. cute. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes, they're made for grown-up women. Um, you know, I noticed on the video, neither of us are wearing like pink. No, we're not. <laughs> we're wearing black and gray. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's what's so exciting to me is the community aspect of it. I mean, being part of this larger movement that's happening, you know around the globe, but I think certainly in our country, um, in so many very specific ways where, um, women are, you know, more than ever or on topics that weren't discussed previously, um, really speaking out, standing up, standing in their power, taking control of situations in which, you know, we did, we weren't in control before. And I think that, um, you know, we know how, how essential education is, um, to allowing women to, to, assume that type of uh, position in society and have the ability to really um, be, I think, uh, have self-determination. And that's really what this whole global movement is, is, is about, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we have time for about one more question and kind of we're going to roll with where, where we're at here. Um, but knowing where, and this is what I ask everyone who comes on the show, but Knowing where you are now in your career and in your life, what advice would you give to yourself as that new grad, fresh-faced, ready to tackle the world right out of college? Um, I would say trust the process. Um, trust life. I, I look back at that college grad who, um, you know, certainly had a lot of ambition and passion and maybe, you know, a, a good amount of direction, but I certainly hit a lot of um, bumps and, and sort of moments of confusion along the way. But now looking back, like every single thing that happened led to the next thing that led to the next thing that led to the next good thing. And to see where I am today versus then and see everything that I know now versus then, it's like it all, it was all for the best. 
Um, and, you know, I still trust that like the things that happen today are for, you know, the best that's yet to come. Um, even when they feel really shitty in the moment um, and are really confusing and you wish they weren't happening. It's like, I think maintaining that mindset of like trusting the unfolding and just following what feels good to you and really knowing that, um, you know, that things are falling into place. But I think that um, especially for entrepreneurs and people who are, you know, out on their own, out on the sort of edge of everything. I mean, it's super risky. And so it's really exciting too. And I think, you know, I think about something that I think, you know, um, Jim Carrey has this amazing documentary out right now and, and sort of his insight um, in that is amazing. But he talks about his dad who was um, like kind of a really funny guy and a musician, but ended up being an accountant at the end of the day because he couldn't make money being a, a musician unless he moved to America and it was this whole thing. So he became an accountant, didn't love it, was kind of miserable for 40 years. And then after 40 years, he was laid off and completely back at zero. And so the message was like, you could lose it all 40 years into a career that you absolutely hate. So you might as well do what you love, you know, because you could fall off the cliff at any time. So like, just do what you love. And I think that's really the message, um, you know, do what you love and sort of like trust that um, things are going to continue moving in the right direction. Yeah, I love it. That is wonderful advice. Thank you so much for that. And now if people want to find out more about Quora and maybe they want to start uh, getting in on this community with all this great yeah. product, where can they do that? So our website is Cora.life, um, and we're also on Instagram and across social at Cora Women. Great. Well, Molly, thank you so much. I think you gave so much great advice to any entrepreneur out there, and your passion and spirit comes through. So thanks so much for, for being on the podcast. Thank you so much, Karen. It was so great to be here with you. Thanks. And everybody, just so you know, all the links that we spoke about today will be at the show notes at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And thank you all for listening. Have a great uh, couple of days and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. So a huge thanks to Molly Haywood, founder of Cora, and to our sponsor, NetHealth. So if you want to expand your visit capacity, get paid for your services, ramp up your patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation, it's all in one place. That's Redoc powered by XFIT. You can learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. So a huge thanks to our sponsor, NetHealth, and thank you to you for listening. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.